Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. So today we have a different episode. Both myself and Gonzalo will play both guests and hosts for this episode. We want you to stay together because not only we'll be speaking about our personal lives, kind of how did we got to become into this career, as well as answer questions that are probably in everyone's minds nowadays across the last episodes that we want to give our own spin and our own personal view. Stay tuned. How are you doing, Gosal? I'm doing great. I had an intense day of work, and now I'm happy to, to have this conversation that we were planning for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, when we did the first episode, very first one, we I think we had this conversation. I mean, we should do a few episodes between each other, kind of give different perspectives, more kind of like personal episodes that can it's more kind of less formal, but we never did. So and we have been delaying this for a few months, probably. <laughs> More than weeks, for sure. I think more it's more than weeks. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Better late uh, than never. Yeah. And and kind of to kick us off, and so everyone gets a sense of like what we'll be speaking about, uh, there is a question I want to ask. So it, it will kind of exploit a bit your past, but I know you spent time in the army. What led you to join the army first? And what did you take from there? What lessons when you were back in your civilian life? Well, it's a, it's a great start. So I joined the army when I was 18. It was more necessity than vocation, I have to confess. I started, I started work, working relatively early to help my family. And working and studying was quite of a challenge at the time. The army was, was the best solution to continue my studies and, and mm -hmm. to have a, a regular income at the same time. What lessons did it brought for my civilian life? Well, obviously spending three years, almost three years there from this young age uh, had, had a deep in effect on the person that I became. I think I'm very self-demanding. I push mm -hmm. myself a lot, which is not always a good thing. Sometimes I feel that I cannot relax on this point. The army is also a great school to, to teach you how to overcome yourself, to, to go beyond, even when things seem impossible, to take responsibility, ownership. And of course, I, I learn a lot about leadership and teamwork. How much do you think that some of those skills were army skills like things that you learned or versus skills that you already had but you kind of didn't knew you had in you do you have a sense the army took a lot of growth and gave me a lot of people skills it seems unlikely but the first time i had to work in a team and do things together with people and and rely on other people was was there i i took a lot of it to my professional life, personal, obviously, but also professional life. I think the army gave me a deep understanding about human nature and what people can do and how people can work together, interact to each other. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great school. And, you know, when I left the army immediately, I didn't thought that I, I didn't take much from there. When I was, when the time was passing, I realized that it's part of one of the best experiences I had. So obviously this is had to reshape mm. my my worldview and the way how, how, in the end, the person that I am today. Yeah. 
and and do you think those traits are kind of like present in your self today your experience in wfm oh absolutely wfm is about people you know it has a lot about numbers mm -hmm. and, and analytics and all of those things but the core of wfm is is people and is, is managing people and engaging people my 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 experience there allowed me to once again to have this deep understanding about human nature, about the collective, about the greater good. And I, I take a lot of that to, to my WFM career. You are putting me too much on the spotlight. So now I will share the favor because you, you were a software engineer when you started mm -hmm. your career. What led you to, well, first to become a software engineer, to, to study, mm -hmm. to study that. And, and what, what made you move to the WFM career? So it's actually funny because our both of our stories start like in a kind of the same note, which is I started work really young when I was like 17. And I always like, I, I mean, since I recall, I think when I got my first computer, I was like, what, like nine, eight, I don't recall well the age, but around 10. I always wanted, and I got super fascinated about the fact that how much I can do with this box at the time, a huge box, but <laughs> with that box. And I wanted, and it started with me like, I mean, what can I do? So I started to get interested about programming languages. I wanted, I like a small course on like the basics around Windows at the time, which is like not, uh, not at all related with software development, but was like the, the spark. And then I always said, like, since I, I recall probably like around 10, 11, that I wanted to work at the time for Microsoft or some kind of company that is helping building <laughs> software and helping software for, for masses. That was kind of like my aim at the time. And that led me to literally when I applied to university, I only applied to one course in one place. And that's the course I wanted, which was focused on engin informatic engineering. And that's the place where I got in. When I would turn, turned 18, my first, very first job, which was a mix between kind of a contact center job as well as more kind of a back office job. So my first job was focused on getting different customer requests and figure out a way for to connect drivers that were on the on, on the ground to the to the customers but my job was to define the best routes so I, i knew all the jobs they had planned that were coming in i had to call them and say hey you have i'm assigning you these three or four jobs and the reason why is because of either fuel or distance or depending on the experience that the different people that were on the on the ground had like making sure that i was assigning more senior people to the more complex jobs And that sparked like something that still is today, which is a, the concept of planning. So for me, that was more than that traditional kind of customer service job, which was not, was more complex than that. But for me, I was like a lot on plan, planning involved to find the right route. I remember my colleagues were too focused on just answering contacts and assigning to the first person available. But for me, it was more about, okay, how can I optimize this journey? And, and that was kind of the start. And because I started working really early, then when I finished that job, that job took like nine months. I left because it was kind of a mater maternity cover. I went, I started in the contact center space. I stayed as an agent for like maybe six months. I kind of was promoted to different like back office jobs and that led the opportunity to become supervisor. And then after that, WFM supervisor still very early. So I was like 19 or <laughs> 20 when I actually had the, my first WFM role. And that was kind of like, At the same time, I was in my third year in the university and I was like trying to make it a difficult choice. It's like, what, what do I want to do with life? It's like my personal professional life is working well, so I'm developing at the same time. And at the same time, my kind of studies are going well, so what do I choose? And at the time, I made a decision for 
I want to say it was the right decision, but at the same time it was a bit scary, which was I prioritize the kind of the cash flow at the time. So I wanted to make sure that I'm continuing to work in the market and then I will build up and figure out that later if I go back to the to being a software engineer. But I was so already in depth in WFM and really enjoying what I was doing that kind of like I couldn't get out. Like I started learning like the very old school way hands-on, which I don't think is the right way to learn, but helped me a lot. And that led to kind of like that move away from being a software engineer to kind of like pursue WFM as a, as a career, which is something that today I really think it's a, a nice decision, even though it was a bit scary in the beginning. I, I can imagine. I think the question that most people would be thinking is, so you you study to be a software engineer. Did you ever consider starting your own WFM project since you, you share both passions? <laughs> I mean, multiple times. So I actually, I think, I don't know when, the first time I ever thought about it, I was very young. I was like 21, 22, but I was completely lost. So I, I didn't have any kind of network to support me on that endeavor. Like I was starting by myself and I, I was super afraid of just starting and not being able to just get my own bills paid. And I was like, how do I start? So I what I started doing is I started writing like in notebook ideas, concept ideas of things like, what is the problem that we, that no one is solving that I think everyone should solve? And like concept ideas that eventually one day when I get time, I would pursue it. Later in 2015, 16, I actually had someone telling me because we had a conversation, I'm not going to sell the name, but that person said, hey, you actually have a very nice vision. Like if you want to start the company, I will invest in you. And I was like, oh my God, this is this the breakthrough that I was waiting to get? <laughs> but at the time I was super worried because, and I think that's what everyone, every entrepreneur like goes through is like, do I start? Do I don't start? Like, do I basically take everything away that is granted for today and just start a new a new job? And I kept delaying a bit that decision to a point that in the time that I was considering the most is when I my wife told me that she was pregnant. And I was like, okay. So one of the things that everyone told me is like, you will not get a life for the first two or three years because you are developing something new. And I had to postpone it because I had to prioritize family. And that led to today. I mean, I, I still... I love to give tips and speak with different people in the market to give advice and just say, hey, you should improve this or that. But I I don't think, at least for now, that I will do it unless maybe the life changes and eventually I will get there. But it's funny because I, I, it's something I really deeply enjoy. It's like the two sides of that software product as well as the WFM side and combining those would be probably the ideal. But it's like, I'm even though I'm not very risk averse, I like to take risks. I really had to go for family in this. There are some trade-offs that are, are yeah. difficult to, to do. There really are to, to gauge. And, and then getting the right sponsorship, like the, the right network. I, I think I have people to go to, but it's it's hard. It's a hard niche to actually start. And you need mm -hmm. to be very bold to, to start because it's like you are not doing something for a mass market. It's like a very specific yeah. tailored, tailored approach. But Gosal, just to kind of fight back with you, more than being in the army, I think it's public that you are passionate for politics. I think you were twice a candidate for the Portuguese parliament and you were part of one of the European elected lists. So not only you are as well a kind of that political analyst, you that's something you enjoy, advisor on the party. What drove you from that like army to whatever career you were doing and at the same time pursuing that political world, which is by far the, a very complex world. 
it is a very complex world and i think we could be here for five hours and i would just be talking about that it's also important to highlight that i'm probably not that good because i was candidate in multiple elections for for a small party in portugal but i was never elected so i i guess i am not that good you know i always thought about politics as the best way of doing good in in larger scale that's what gives me really passion about politics but unfortunately it's also the best way how to do bad things in large scale i was interested about politics since i can remember and i became a member of of the portuguese green party the not green party but kind of green party called pan when i was 24 25 i was even close not really a founder a founding member but very close to it i still love politics and i continue writing stuff when news, newspapers ask me to do it especially about American politics that I try to follow closer. But with, with this COVID lockdowns and everything around it, I have to, to say that it reshaped my vision of the political actors and institutions. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I somehow got far away from, from, from that spectrum. I still get some invitations time to time. And I write, I have a column where I write every month. I had a radio show it started as a podcast but became a radio show where i was talking with a few people friends of mine had it for two or three months i believe in the last year from the end of last year to january or february and we were doing monthly, mm -hmm. weekly political talk shows i i still love it but i don't want to be close to to the machinery mm -hmm. of of the parties and and those yeah. institutions you know one thing that i really appreciate in workforce management and operations in general is the large majority of people that I work with, I would say in my current company, I probably 100%, but even during my career, the large majority of them are very skilled people, very dedicated. Contact center is an industry where meritocracy works because if you are not good, you probably will not have a great future. But politics is not really like that. And I, I don't feel like... I want to be surrounded by by that environment. But yes, I had these experiences. I had, I was doing political campaign in the first election. I didn't, I didn't do very well. And then the second one, I think I was in the third party most voted in the Euro European circle because Portugal yeah. has this kind of elections that regions and Europe counts as a region. So all the Portuguese people living in Europe vote to elect two people. I was very close to be elected didn't happen i'm not sorry so yeah that's that's more or less my my yeah, experience actually now that that i everyone knows you are a political expert one of the things i i think personally and this I, this is not the path that i want the podcast to continue because i don't want to take five hours but do you think that political literacy is an issue because one of the things is like every time i speak about politics the conversations are normally very binary and I think there is not enough knowledge about and proficiency speaking about politics. Do you think that's an issue, literacy and political literacy? It's an issue. And I'm still surprised that in the time where, where people have more access to information is where they are less informed. People see a lot of stuff on social media. We read a lot of headlights from the, from the newspapers. But I, I see a lot of people understanding political science or even making an effort to understand what I hear a lot is people repeating nauseam what the other people are saying. So if they don't like one candidate, they would say exactly the same. And you can speak with 100 people and they will say the same. 
without even knowing why. Because sometimes I just like to, to you know, do some follow-up questions and say, okay, you don't like this individual. Why? Why you don't like them? Yeah. And yeah, the, I, I, I agree with you. That I think that there is a, a big problem, but, but I'm not sure if it's being fixable. Also because the parties don't want to fix it. The parties don't yeah. want people to be clarified and to understand the political game because they would not vote for them. That's it. Yeah. And, and I, I think there is one of the, it's just a, to move on. One of the things I noticed is that there is the percentage of people that actually read what different parties say they will do if they are elected is so small. It's like, I was so shocked when I found that statistic that like, it's less than I think less than 10% of the people that vote actually even it's not reading it's downloading it it's one thing it's just accessing it's like less than 10% and then eventually the ones that read probably is even less but I, I was super shocked about that but to move on and to avoid this to become a five-hour episode and I wanted to go back to kind of more professional side is like for people to know like what do we do today so the question I think it's for both of us is like what do we do what like is a day for us so you want to start with me to start? No, I, I want I want you to start first because I'm talking too much, and second because I'm curious to to understand and to share <laughs> okay. what what is Andres' day and how is your your professional day and personal as well. Yeah, so very plain terms, like my professional day today is divided in three main parts. So I think the part that I enjoy a lot which is going into details being super technical looking at like different data points figuring out the root causes of the different issues across the, the operation is the probably the part i do the least today so i have teams hyper focused on that so my focus is more it's more and more and more people management is just figuring out making sure that everyone has in one end the right tools to do their best possible job and at the same time they have the kind of health and in all the conditions to be at their best to showcase at their best so that's my number one priority and where i spend the majority of the time the second piece is a lot to do with really going in depth about like the core like core outputs of 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 wfm in for me wfm is not traditional so i don't look at wfm just in a traditional way so i oversee all the core wfm traditional one and all the automation parts all kind of SGNA efforts, which touch, which is the layer that touches finance and the people team. Normally, people team meaning all the HR guys. And my, I, 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 we, I actually build a team that goes end to end in the in that spectrum and adding value across the the board. And my job is a lot to do on that return investment. So, is in the end figuring out are we doing the right thing, yes or no? Even though the right thing might not necessarily be the most cost efficient, but it's the best either to the different stakeholders we are supporting, clients, partners, depend, depending on how we see it. So. Most of my time is actually speaking or listening, depending on how you put it. It's a lot of meetings to present those different return investments, where we are doing and where we are, where we want to be. And then finally, when I have actually time to do some work, I think the other part where I spend some time on is researching. So I really like researching if I'm doing the right decisions. So that's always something I always consider, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, so time to time, what I normally like to do is just take like every three months time to myself, like maybe a good full day or half day and just get some pieces of paper, like like different sheets and just go and write, okay, how is my org working? What are the pain points? What are the things to do? And then what I like to do is bring all my direct reports, all my team around me and rebuild. Like it's that consistent rebuilding of the future. Like, where are we? 
are we doing the right thing? Are we not doing the right thing and move on? So that's where I spend the majority of my time. And the day-to-day, I mean, because the, the support I do in my professional life is worldwide. So I have people in Asia to, to the US. I need to be available most of the times in to end even though it's less because now my teams is already also have a food, local footprint. But that, that's kind of it. Like I spend a lot of time or try to spend a lot of time helping people to become better selves. And I try to do that to myself with that, my own stopping and, okay, rethinking, bringing people around me to figure out what we do next because I, I think that's the best way to to develop. I don't know if that's the answer we were seeking. I hope it... So you, you think that... This capacity that you have of challenging yourself and questioning yourself brings your full potential or is one of the tools that brings your 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 best, best potential? Yeah. I, th I think one of the things I really like is perspectives. Like for me, I'm a big advocate that there is no one that knows the truth about everything. So for you to shape the best possible outcome, you need to have perspectives. Like bring different perspectives together. Even sometimes we'll disagree and we'll commit to something, but those perspectives help shape a better future. And that's what I like. I really like to, and this is actually something related with politics, but it's another thing, but I really like to listen and get perspectives. And as we go down the, the line, the decision makers will be one. So we will need to prepare for that decision, but that's what I feel like. It's what brings the best me is when I get more and more knowledge to, to make better decisions because I'm, I'm more informed. That's kind of Sounds like the way great. I see things. What about you? Like what... What does your day-to-day -day look like? Well, my day-to-day -day is, it, it's never the same. So uh, currently I'm, I'm the workforce and also BPO manager of, of a fintech company. It's a very unique project because it's not only investment. It's not only banking, it's, it's both. And it's a product that I really like. I don't know if you had this experience, but when you work, you probably have because we spoke about it. When you work <laughs> in, in, in a company, and you you work with a product that you you believe it's it's completely different from when you are working something that you okay I, I work here but I wouldn't buy your product and it also happened to me in the past so I'm really happy to 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 work with this product it's, it's a very interesting thing it's an intense job I also help at least I, I like to believe that I help shaping and reshaping careers and and developing people I I'm very privileged because. I work with people that also help me to do that. I, I'm working there for one year and a half. And mm -hmm. I, I think I developed myself more in, in the last 18 months than I did it in the previous five years. So working with different countries is amazing. It forces you to learn a lot. I have to, you have to know, you know, working law from several countries and understand cultures and understand all of these different people that aim for the same, but work in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty much, yeah. pretty much that, yeah. And I, I think it's a good segue because as you were speaking, I was thinking about, about something, which is you mentioned, you mentioned like, your day-to-day -day, and especially you mentioned about the fintech and the fintech space is currently nowadays based on all the macro environment we are in kind of under a huge pressure so like how how being in that world impact you on the output of your different planning routines and kind of the wfm job in the end of the day so right now we are in a tough moment and that's why you see many of these fintechs in the market either abandoning the market or just reshaping the way how they were working. 
the, the fintech world is very specific, has a lot of regulations. So when you are putting a team in place, you have much more regulations that you have to have an, a, a different customer service. There are a lot of geographic regulations. So when I'm choosing a BPO, uh, I, I cannot look to the map and just decide which one is better. I need to understand that there is GDPR, there are compliance with, with the, the banking. So this creates some limitations, also increases costs. The biggest difference I find in, in, the, in the fintech applied to my, my job specifically is the skill of the agents. To work in a fintech and deal with banking, investments, crypto, and keep with all the updates and all the innovations, the agents need to be extremely skilled. It's not only this, this uh, if, you, if you think about customer service, I, I know that you don't think that, but some people have this idea, customer service, you pick up phones and you just give answers that are pretty much the same to all questions. Yeah, like uh, everything uh, is scripted, right? Exactly. But for, for a fintech agent, you need to understand a lot about many things. So this creates a lot of challenges. It's harder to hire. The assessments takes mu take much more time. If you have levers, the backfill is it's more difficult because the people are more skilled. They are more willing to leave as well. So you need to, to yeah. push engagement and you really need to create a workplace that reflects work-life balance a lot. I think all WFM managers should think about work-life work balance, but obviously this, this is more critical if, if your team is skilled. And yeah, it's, it's, that those are the challenges. The fintech industry will suffer because the, the, probably all of these, these banks or, or financial institutions, the, many of them are, are not profitable. So they, they, they leave from yeah. financial rounds. And with the market, with the current market, it's very likely that investors will retract themselves yeah. from putting money in, in companies. So we will see a reshape of the industry, which to some extent is not completely. A there is one advantage is you had fintech industry growing like mushrooms. You know, you had everyone was starting a fintech company and there is no space for, you know, 20 or 30 so companies yeah. in each country. So. Is this will, will also help companies to not, not become better, but become more efficient. And here, WFM has a huge uh, or big say, because if, if there is an industry that can help any industry to become more efficient and more cost efficient is WFM, but also will simply take from the market the players that are not skilled to be there. Yeah. And, and, and do you think that that kind of like perspective on who is going to continue to be here yes or no do you think that will happen within one year two years like do you, because the space is very crowded so mm. do you think how fast do you think that move that will happen it's, it's happening already so you you had a few fintechs german fintechs uh, mm -hmm. going bankrupt i think the the most famous ca case is nuri it will increase next year because it's not expected that the the, the market will, yeah. will become better in the next month so I would say 2023 will be a tough year for many companies and for the, the others that were growing in a sustainable way, maybe it's time to, to, to just become Figure more efficient and actually get more customers, reduce the customer costs. Yeah. You can see it has opportunity as well. Yeah, I, I agree. But let's spin it off because I think we're going to a more dramatic uh, part of the... Oh, and I, I people will kind of start tuning in. It's like, oh... 
another guy that is not the, the media news saying about that we have IA inflation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So back to your personal so personal life. So you, you you are Portuguese. You are living abroad. Any plans on returning? Like, what do you think about that idea? Is that something that you consider? Well, it's it's a question that made me think a lot of times, as you can imagine. So I'm living abroad for eight years and I, I really enjoy it. I really like it. The multiplicity of experience that I have, the multicultural environment, it, it's really a privilege to, to, to have. It's not that you cannot have it in, in Portugal. Of course you can and you, you, you have this experience, mm -hmm. but it's, it's definitely different. If I'm planning to return, not really. It doesn't mean I will stay in Germany forever. I'm also not super confident about it. You know, I'm, I'm 36 years old. It's hard to say I won't do something, but I'm not expecting. And we could yeah. return to politics. I, I love Portugal. I think Portugal has a lot of potential for many things. But I distrust all the political things that have been happening there in the last... I don't know how many years, and I'm I don't foresee that things are going getting better. I'm not only talking about economics, and of course, the economy is is a big topic, but I just don't trust the people that have been managing the country. So until I I recover my hope, it's not uh, <laughs> it's out of likely. the equation. And you, do you think about leaving? <laughs> Did you ever thought about it? So I had different offers to actually move out from different countries. I consider that heavily once. I don't recall the full decision-making process. At the time, it was a very positive offer, career-wise as well as financial-wise, but I, I, I decided to stay. And I think it really depends on the phase where I was in. At the time, I was like comfortable in what I was building. I was very motivated, and I think that helped me continue. At this stage, I do not see that happening in a short period of time, but I, I can never say no. Maybe like what will happen is that one day my daughter will turn like like 18 or 20 or after studying it, she says, I'm going to study or let's say she wants to study in Denmark. And I'm like, okay, I want to be in a position that I can go with her. So maybe one day, yes. <laughs> she doesn't I, want to be with Or maybe she doesn't want to go with me and then I can go to somewhere else, so another place, just making a joke. But I don't know. I, I had opportunities. I just think that I never ever ever had a huge business case that said me okay this is like you must go no matter what this is the best opportunity were good opportunities but not that good not um, that yeah and and now that you mentioned like because you were speaking about you coming back and you mentioned that you don't even know what that future will be so do you see yourself working in wfm industry for i don't know let's say 10 years from now well that, that's another very good question the honest answer is I don't know. It's it's very likely that it will be around WFM. If it will be more WFM, more customer operations, even banking. I, I like to 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 work with people and I like to manage people. I I would like to continue in this path, but the I, I truly believe that WFM will evolve to a point that we don't even know if it will be necessary. Yeah. I guess we will, but maybe not as we are now. So the answer is, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I think about, about this quite a lot, but, but the game is, is changing and you don't, I don't mm -hmm. know if we can keep up with the game, uh, being very honest.
and and about this because I I know that we we spoke in the past with the project that you had with Portuguese universities and and the internship yeah. programs that that were focused on WFM. Do you think that there is a a future educational space for WFM universities? Because if you want to work on WFM, you mm -hmm. actually don't have a WFM space to study. You need to take from here yeah. and there, but there is no academic path for WFM. What do you think about it? I mean, so first I will start the answer by saying that I totally agree with what you said. So I don't know what the future of this industry will be. What I can see and I think it's already changing is the skills that are needed for you to be successful are very different. So I remember like maybe 10 years ago, if you were good good enough to read like different data sets, work on Excel, explore export a few things here and there, you could make a good, decent career because you were kind of like very process-oriented person. So you could do all the basic process stuff and you would be happy with that and that would stay forever. With the level of automation that I see most companies going today, that is probably the first work going away. So that type of profile is not the one you need anymore, which was very traditional. Then I think when we look at the WFM as a spectrum of opportunities, and that goes from forecasting, planning, and I would say reporting, and then all the kind of support and development, I will break that part for later. I think... Those are very different academical paths. So for instance, one of the things I, I did in, uh, here in Portugal is I went to universities that we have people studying math. Uh, those are the best profiles to work in forecasting. Like that's what they breathe and, and understand. Like they understand the numbers. That's what they are focused on. And I think what I noticed is that most of the mathematicians, they are too academic because they don't know what normal paths are in the in the workspace and presenting that opportunity will get different to at least internships with the portuguese university specific format helped me not only secure professionals that are even though they are young super talented that know in depth the behind the scenes on on on, on the mat and they can do it better than what i will ever do on forecasting so That's number one. I think definitely when you focus on the different spectrums, you will have the opportunity. The other part, which is the, the fundamental part of the question about education. I would love for, doesn't need to be like a formal course, but I think all the areas that touch on the WFM spectrum, like same with supply chain. We have now courses focused on supply chain like as a master's. You could potentially have something that touches on that or different modules that touch on forecasting, planning as a core planning, because planning can be applied across every single industry. Does it need to be contact centers alone? Same for all the analytical stuff that today is very focused on a few things, but can be diverted into this lens of WFM or having the subjects about that. I think there is the opportunity. There are different partners that are in, in the world that are focusing on trying to bring that to the WFM professionals. We have actually one with CCMAT, they are doing that as well. But I think the opportunity is, is massive because if we don't fix that, like you said, maybe 10, 15 years from today, 80% of this job is automated or people don't see the value in because the nature of the job changed and no one adapts. So I'm, I'm afraid if we don't build the right foundations for that to be sustainable in the future, that this can be a risk, yeah. No, But I, I hope that more universities will be open for these types of programs because you will learn a lot. Maybe this is the opportunity that you're talking about. Maybe they need you to go there and say, we need a master's in, in planning and I'm here to, to help you. 
I, I mean, I, I would love to have more partnerships like this because I think it's a huge opportunity for sure. Gonzalo, to to pick on this, and you 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 studied philosophy, right? That's what you studied. So we we're talking about studies. Yes. And, and how the hell did you end up here? <laughs> In this, like you go from there. I think philosophy somehow can touch politics. I understand the layover, but like how 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 that journey happened for you to end up here. You know, it's curious because I, I get this this quite a lot. So philosophy and, and literature was were always my my great passion since I can remember. I was probably eleven and I was reading Descartes. And I was a bit strange kid. I can. See but that. also, <laughs> I early. <laughs> thank you. But early, uh, I also understood that hardly this could become career. So. You know, it's actually a, a point that I have many times to myself is if I could choose again, would I spend time studying philosophy knowing that this would not bring, at least directly, an impact for a career or for a pay? At the same time, the reality is if, if I truly believe that spending time studying, you know, Plato and Aristotle's and, you know, all of those individuals with strange thoughts also made the individual that you are talking today and you know many times i'm in group discussions with five ten people and i have opinions that are different from everyone not necessarily better also not necessarily worse but but they are different and it's because my thought process is different the the way how my brain process equations it's not a, a mathematician one but it's different and I think this brings a lot of value. So I study philosophy and I realized then, okay, I will not be able to pay my bills with this. So I continue <laughs> studying and working and I, I worked, I studied management and, and then I started working for one of the biggest Portuguese companies as a manager. So yes, I still, time to time, I take some courses of, of writing and literature. And as I said, I, I still write for a newspaper. It's something that I like, but I, I'm not even thinking anymore about, about philosophy. I, I read books still. I, I like to, to keep up with the stuff, but... What, what's kind of the main branch of philosophy that like... Like well, the main I, lines of thought, which one do you identify the most? This is probably a super hard question to answer in like 10 seconds. It, it is also because it changed over the time. You know, when, when I was 18 was something and now it's probably something else. I, I really like German philosophers now. I, I, I wouldn't say this 10 years ago. I spend a lot of time thinking and reading and, and, and studying Schopenhauer. I used to be a big fan of bioethics. Also like the classics, but I would say if if I would have to answer today, I would say Schopenhauer. And I also enjoy quite a lot the Portuguese one, Agustin da Silva, different reasons. But I, I still have sometimes I go, I register myself for classes and I still like to to, still like to debate about it and to talk about it yeah. in the in the remaining time I have from, from politics. <laughs> Yeah, good, good point. But before, and, and I, something that I want to ask you for a while is, and yeah, before yeah. going a bit back, we were talking about WFM and the evolution and and, mm -hmm. and how the industry is, is going sometimes scarily fast. Yeah. What do you think it will be the next big thing happening? What is already there that we can see it a bit and it will disrupt the, the industry? So I think that's, that's a, 
a very, very good question. Very, very tough to answer. And I really hope I don't fail in this one because that's a personal bet. So I think one thing we'll see kind of sooner rather than later is the concept of automated alert mystics. So this is like back to the concept of quality monitoring. So today, when we think about quality monitoring, there are different, like loads of providers that can do a triage of every single contact in your contact center and they give you rates and they can kind of group things in like, those are not good, those are good enough, procedure-wise, whatever, whatever it is, with a very actual good accuracy. So you don't need to have people doing samples of like less than half a percent of your contacts to just give a sense of like your quality. So that is what's already happening in quality. Within WFM specifically, what I see is like real-time management is not easy. The more complex the business is, the more harder it becomes because you are looking at multiple channels, multiple languages, work streams, and it's hard to manage, like engage all the service levels, all the things that are happening. And it's 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 a job prompt to fail. Like you always fail. No matter how good you are, you will always fail. You will always need to fight back. It's like back. forecasting, right? It's like forecasting. It's, I think it's even worse than forecasting. Forecasting, you, for guarantee, you will be wrong. But in, in real-time management, you will for sure fail. And most of the times you don't even know why. And then you need to figure out why are you failing and then you course correct. And it's like this, it's actually funny depending on how you see it, but it's 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 time consuming and it's it can lead to a lot of burnout. I think that will be the next big evolution will be for all of the other mystics to be fully automated. So the more layers we have in integration, APIs between systems, whenever the systems can communicate fully, other mystics can be fully automated. And then it's more a job of nudging the person that is misbehaving, nudging the person that is monitoring, nudging like and and making available the outliers in 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 a way that is visible for everyone. So if there is some, doesn't need to be with a name, but if some if there is a problem happening, everyone knows this is happening, so everyone can react. And I think that's it. Already happens. I used to do that in my early days where I would see a problem and I messaged everyone like broadcast message to just say, hey, this is happening. Please figure it out. Even though I knew it was failing, I think that needs to be. That's a need that the LFM needs. More than any any bells and whistles, this is a basic thing that needs to happen. I think that will disrupt because then the job of that role of like real-time management, that entry level of like all the support roles that more admin stuff will go away, which means that the profiles you will need are they need different depth in the business understanding. And that's I think it's going to be not only huge for WFM as a as a function, as a niche, as a market, because you will need much stronger people. But that is also something, if you allow me to give that advice for everyone starting now, you should really master those soft skills, those business skills, because those will be, whenever this happens, because it's not a if, it's a when, you will need those. Like You will need people that are much more critical and much more business-oriented and less process-oriented because that will, will automation will, will drive it and you just need to trust and, and lead with that outcome. And that's that's a really great point. And I, I was about to, to ask you exactly this. I have some sometimes people starting WFM and they say, what where should mm. I start? Well, yeah. there's a lot of things that you need, but soft skills are the number one. If you... I, 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 I keep saying if you're not good with people, of course you can still work on WFM. Yeah. I wouldn't hire you. It's very simple. This is like you said, I think it was the first thing you said. Sorry, Gonzalo to cut you off. It's like this is we are dealing with people. More than numbers, it's a people, it's a people job. Like you need to be here to and you need to work with people. 
and so uh, and that, I think that helps kind of circle back to the beginning, which is that's in the end of the day, even when someone asks, you soft skills are the number one thing. And sorry, you were going no, no, somewhere. I, I was. I, go, I think I was going exactly in the same way. People skills, and we spoke many times about that. Even in private conversations, we mm -hmm. are always uh, highlighting the importance of individuals. We all have or had people who inspired us. If you'd have to highlight people or individuals or groups of people who inspired you the most, mm -hmm. not only professionally, but also, or only professionally, if you prefer, who, what would you say? Who inspired you the most and why? So I need, I need to say two persons. One is actually funny because I don't think that person even knows, professional-wise. So one of the very first managers i ever had so it was very early in my career he was a very out he was a huge outlier so he was a super human focused super people oriented in a in a function that you need to be super analytical and when i got promoted and i started working with him one of the first things he said was i hired you because you have the skills i don't have so you are literally complimenting myself because I was like I was fully non technical side. I, like I all knew all the data. All, like that was my background. So I, people was not my strength, and he was so people driven that even the questions he asked were not about oh are we performing or underperforming. It was more about okay how are how is the team are they burning out like so the questions were completely different which led to the same answer but that that person really helped me seek that passion to groom people and get people to grow. So that is the number one. His name is Daniel. I, I, it's been a long time since I spoke with him, but he helped me a lot, more than he probably thinks. The other person I would say was my grandfather because of one thing he always said, which is a very, I think it's a common Portuguese saying, I, at least for me it was very common, was that knowledge doesn't, I'm trying to translate it, knowledge does not take space. So whatever you learn, it will not take space. You will even though it might seem, oh, now I need to learn something new. So knowledge doesn't take space. And he always told me that in, in, in Portuguese. And that helped me always, well, like when I really want to learn something, or like when I really get the new project or something in, I normally go like 300% of myself until I burn out. That's like the way I go, even though it's not healthy, but it's like, okay, something new. Full in, I get to master it to a certain extent and then I start relaxing. And normally I relax because I'm tired. But he helped me a lot with that. Le that learning does not take space and it's always relevant. But more important, which complements is whatever you are doing, never fight against, like, like it, this is an artist to translate in English, but never fight against whatever materials you have. So if, let's say, the FM analogy, if you get certain numbers, the first question you should ask is not the numbers are wrong or they don't say, like, don't fight with the numbers because math will always be math, but try to figure out that from a different perspective. Like, if you are not getting to any conclusion, are you asking the right questions? And that's, like, for me, was super powerful because it goes back to perspectives. Like, those are the two persons that are definitely the most influential into kind of shaping who I am today. And they really inspired me. Even today, I still remember quotes they said early in my, in my career. What about you? Still, still about what you said. It's really interesting because the expression, the last one, well, both of them, the last one especially, is very common in, in Portuguese and yeah. it's very easy to understand in Portuguese. In English, it's, it's, hard, it's right? a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't blame the material or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's the way yeah. we say it. And it, it, it's 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 a very wise, you know, we tend to, to believe that we know much, much more than the, the elderly times and elderly people. 
but it's so wise, you know, and the mm -hmm. example of the BFM is, is, is pretty good because instead of, you know, instead of looking to the numbers and blaming the system and blaming the numbers and blaming, yeah. try to ask why, why the numbers are there, why, why the problem exists instead of fighting, the, yeah. not the problem itself, but the, the result of the problem. Yeah. And I think people spend too much energy on that, like go, going, focusing on the problem and less in the solution or just asking the right question. Exactly. Um, so who, who inspired me the most and why? I, I didn't have a lot of references. I, there are a lot of behavior behaviors that, that inspired me during my life. I really admire bravery and, and courage. And I, when I, when I meet people that, that are brave and courageous, I, I feel very inspired by, by that when I mean brave, not in the, in the current conception of the term where everything is considered brave, but you know, individuals that challenge the odds of the luck and, and, and pursue yeah. of something deeper, people that aim for a meaning in what they do or the way they live. I really admire hardworking people and I had, I was lucky to meet many and hard work is, you know, people that work a lot to, to, to make their living or an individual that works a lot to keep their company, to, to keep his company. I, I really see these individuals and, and I, I, I admire them. Entrepreneurs, individuals that take risks and are ambitious yeah. and go out of the box, especially nowadays. I, I think it's a, it's a big challenge to try to build a company and hire people and spend tons of hours working. I, you need to be brave to, to sacrifice so much to to do it and i really feel inspired by by this kind of behavior in people well if i would have to talk about individuals i would go to philosophy again yeah. agustin da silva is a good reference he's a portuguese philosopher he was a professor he was a very simple man i always remember someone asked this to to saramago the philosopher and someone asked him what who is the person that inspired you the most or who is the smartest or the, the wisest person you met, you know, yeah. and he said it was my grandfather who could not read and write. So for a Nobel prize of literature, the, the, the smartest person he met was someone who couldn't read and write. And I can really relate to that. There is emotional intelligence in, in people that, that is, 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 is amazing and undervalued sometimes, some, somehow. Yeah, but I agree. It's very inspiring. Sorry if I, it got a bit messy. I, I, no, I no, no. To go upside down. I think it's you, you made a very good point, and, and somehow they touch between both you and me, which is like that, like not always the most the biggest academics. They have all the answers. So sometimes the persons that have simple perspectives doesn't they might not know everything, but at least they have experience to give you advice that will lead to 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 another place. And I really. So I said this this before about inter entrepreneurs and like taking that risk is like I was afraid to take it at the, at the time. So I totally relate to that. It's I really I'm inspired when I see people succeeding because I know how hard is it. Uh, it even is just massive. go. It's the massive. first step is actually start, but that first step is is like probably larger than climbing a mountain. So it's like you probably do it first climbing the mountain that you would start your own company. So, no, it's really it's really massive, and you know you open a company. We, we have the experience from Portugal. You open a company and you need to start paying taxes and contributions even before having any profit. 
and yeah. no one will support you with with anything which that's fine but if something goes wrong also no one will help you and we tend to look to those very successful ones and think oh look this individual has a lot of money no one can imagine how many hours this individual spent working instead of being with his family, instead of going on holidays, pricing, you know. We had this recently with Tom Leon from Prozis. He was in this big controversy. Yeah. Controversy. And people were astonished because, you know, he's a very successful guy and apparently has a lot of money. You know, he started his career selling the car, so not having a car to, to, to build a company when he was 20 something years old. You know, how many people with 24 years old would sell the car to start a company after failing one because it was not his first one and, and, and just take the risk? And, you know, he could be a loser now. He could imagine that the company was failing. He wouldn't get anything. So, yeah, I think, I think those are the heroes of the modern times. <laughs> That's actually a good way to put it. Gonzalo, kind of to wrap up and let's build more controversy into this. Like there is a topic we spoke about this one-on-one -on -one in person, which is this polarizing question about where we stand around working from home discussions. Should we end here and just give our thoughts on yes, where do absolutely. we position ourselves? I think this is going to be an interesting one. This, this might be a hot potato also because this is something that many companies are questioning. I get some, yeah. some questions about this sometimes, sometimes people like me and, and or, or they send me like this LinkedIn messages asking what's my advice about it. Not that I have much of an authority and also because I have mixed feelings about it. And, and this is something I shared with you. I, I don't have a fixed position about should people be forced or allowed or whatever we want to call it from the office, from a physical place, or should they be allowed to work from home or mixed? I don't think there is an universal answer. And mm -hmm. this is the, the, the biggest problem is there is no universal answer. So what works for my company might not work for yours. It depends of the industry, it depends of obviously from the company itself, but mostly it depends on the workforce. So if your team is working well and was working well during the, these lockdowns that we had, the productivity was stable or even increased, absenteeism should be lower. So if the absenteeism is higher during work from home, you definitely need to check what happened. You have a problem. <laughs> you have a problem. But absenteeism should be lower. If the engagement and motivation, and this is the biggest challenge, is at least similar, why do you need to change it? It's like in football, there is this saying, yeah. a winning team doesn't change or shouldn't be changed. And it's, 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 it's pretty much that. But the reverse is also true. If your team is lowering results, you feel that there is a big disengagement, maybe bringing people back is, is a solution. Uh, one thing, and I, 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 it seems to me that some people are hostages or they're of their own prejudices about it is... We are also not seeing the potential advantages of giving full work, remote work. That is, one of them is you can save a lot of money. Offices are expensive because usually they are in good locations and they are yeah. big and all of those things. And it's expensive. And you could actually take this money and just invest in people. And the second is you don't need to be restricted to a geographic area. If you, need, if you want to work with the best people, maybe I live in Germany. In Berlin, I have a lot of people to work. But maybe in Munich, I have 
a lot of of good professionals that would not work for me if I force them to 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 come to the office. So, first thing I would advise is companies to not have prejudice about both, to try to understand their workforce. People usually would say I prefer remote or or at least both. They tend to, but. Yes, you should listen, people, but you also should listen what your company needs. And if, once again, if you are not having good good results with working from home, it's better to bring people home. One one last thing I want to say is, and this might be a bit controversial, but we were forced to to, to stay at home, at least some countries, and and companies didn't have time. This was very fast. We didn't have time to to plan policies or best practices or 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 even kind of to deep. create a culture of it. Yeah. And and I had some experiences, not in my company at all, but, but in some trainings that I had that other companies were involved and also with colleagues that, that they tell me that we need to understand that working from home also means working from home. If you are taking care of your cat and your dog and your small baby and cooking and watching Netflix, then you are not working. So there is a balance, it, right? You need to understand that being at home means working from home doesn't mean being at home doing other things. And if if your company tells you, hey, you need to, to return to the office, it might be your fault. Yeah. That, that's but a... I want to hear your opinion about it. Yeah, tough one. I, I, so let me start with where I, I mean, I think I agree and disagree with a few things, but like it's, it's always good for the discussion. I totally agree with there is not a universal answer, but going in depth on the reason why I think that is... <clears throat> I think what is really happening is a change of the standard. Like we were so used, every new company that were ever built in the last 30 years, they had an office. People would go to an office. Needed or not, that was the policy. Technology also didn't allow to remote work remotely. So we are very lucky that this last 10 years happened. So what we I think we are we are going through is a change of the standard, which was already happening. There were already companies moving to before the pandemic started to hybrid roles and having okay with some people remote. I mean, lots of consultants work remotely and different roles work remotely for for ages. So why not? <clears throat> and I think what we are going through is a change of the standard. What is socially standard accepted and goes back to your point is now companies need to do their own work, which is figuring out, okay, for, for whatever activity I do, can I have people working from home? And goes to your point, will they deliver... It's not just a measure, a measure of productivity. It's like, will they deliver on the same way if they would be here or even better and guess that and assess that and figuring out their own personal needs? And I think every company should, they reacted too fast to put people home and work from home, but now they need to, okay, go back to policies, reassess, figuring out what, what is truly needed. And we will go from there. Unfortunately, that's my point. I think we are too focused on finding the answer, being yes, no, maybe that we are not doing the due diligence of just assessing. Like, let's stop, reassess. And like some companies are doing it, but I think even when I, and oh, I'm going to touch on another provocative one, but just very quickly. It's like, would it be better to have like four working days or five? I think it's the same stuff. It's like in the end of the day, conceptually, it's the same type of problem we are trying to assess. There are loads of studies that oh mental health will will benefit people will benefit will be more produ- like more productive or more engaged etc cetera, etc. Cetera. The thing is that this is like we need to figure out in the end of the day every single business exists needs to make money so allow every like the chain of command we need to generate money we are generating for a country or for a demographic we are in 
and if those premises are not fulfilled, then the business cesses to exist. Like there is no point of that business to continue to exist. So more than saying yes or no to any of the two questions, I think it's back to the assessment. And then based on that assessment, you can call, make a call. I think your last point is a very tough one. And I think it it's is. okay to it be is. tough because like, I personally don't like to work from home every time. I, I work from home when I... Well, I, I adjusted my life to work from home part of the week, but I, I really like to go to the office. It's a fr- it's unfortunate that not all the time is is busy with loads of people because I really, for me at at my at my day today, I I speak with people every time, so it's much better if I can just go for a coffee with them because many of the great conversations happen or the good ones to understand how everyone is feeling emotionally or whatever it is. It's when they are not work related, and either you have a culture that. People are already connecting outside work, or if you get that away, it's harder, possible. And the last point, which I think it's a super important one, is the pool of talent. So the boundaries are breaking, which I think will break at least the way global economy works, not people economy, because if everyone becomes a nomad and they can work tech, like tech, tech nomads, it's very common now, new buzzword, and they can work literally from everywhere. Companies need to have policies. There are taxes implications in different countries. How do they get paid? Now are companies now fixing that and helping to fix that? But this is like a very dense conversation. And again, we would be here for five hours if we go that route. So for me, it's like I'm in favor of what is the right thing for business. And this is wearing a business hat with the, the and that's probably where I'm a bit controversial, with the sense that we are doing the best for our people, but this needs to be the right thing for business. If it's not the right thing for our business, maybe when you're from today, it's this decision was bad for everyone and we are just now need to find all a new job. So exactly. my focus would be do what's right for business first with people in mind and then figure out your answer. That would be my recommendation. But it's super polarizing opinion, I have to say. No, obviously it is because you, you are you are taking decisions that will impact directly the life of people. But oh, oh, once again, I, I remember because I research about the topic and I read a lot about the topic. And one interview that, that they were asking, like, why are you concerned to return to the office? And the, the answer was, yeah, because I cannot take care of my child. You know, and you have a small child, so you know this better than anyone. If you are doing a job and you have a two years old child close to you, it's very Impossible. unlikely that you are working. So, and, and companies, it, it's, a, it's a difficult conversation to have. I'm talking mostly about first level support, for example. You, yeah. you cannot, you simply cannot. And it, But let's add that like, I think it happens to all levels. What happens is that depending on the role you have, you will find other slots. So you will probably you are hurting your personal life because you are working during the night when the kid goes away, when you have yeah. actually peace of mind, and then you are hurting your social life, your family life. So this revolves into well-being much deeper when we think about this than actually just is that commute of maybe like 30 minutes or an hour that bad when you put everything into perspective. I don't know. It's really hard, but I, I agree with you. Like working with a child, I mean, I buy that personally by example, gets to a point that it's just impossible. I think like, you, I, were, you were telling me this a, f- a few months ago because I, I was asking you how it was and you said something like, it's just not possible. Yeah. When, when they start to walk and they have their own opinion, it's, impossible. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you can ground them for a few minutes, but 
they will call you and then you're like yeah just wait there like go and serve yourself some water and you will be it will be fine it's impossible i mean there is an age where they can be okay just doing whatever stuff they want but it's like in the end of the day is that really the thing you want for your child like like because in the end of the day they are just being like almost restricted dropped. to whatever dropped i don't know i think it's that mental health of your family it's as important as your personal one and those need to be balanced like this is like life is about balance and choices so i think this is very philosophical now and you every company and every person individually should make that balance and if the company makes a decision that is the best for business is doing x and you are on the other side of the axis maybe that company is not the right company for you so you just go and exactly. find something that is more suitable exactly and it's an amazing way to end the conversation andre thanks <laughs> thanks a lot it was an amazing Great. talk long one but i think this was i mean we were waiting for such a long time that yeah, it's good that we we ended here back to the philosophical stuff you love so much <laughs> thank you thank you thank for, you. for the time Everyone else, guys, stay in touch with us. Follow us on our platforms and see you soon. Thank you for listening to EWFM. This podcast is made and produced by André Leitão, Bilga Hentelman, Doug Carsten, Gonçalo Gomes, and Kim Paz. If you like this show, don't forget to share it with your friends and colleagues. Visit our website, wfm.com to find more exclusive interviews and WFM content. See you next time. All rights reserved.